So welcome to the latest um, edition of Dundeal. Um, I'm uh, expertly joined today with my fellow partner um, at Sheridan's, um, Johnny Medill. Johnny um, has just written a piece over the weekend on um, everything uh, Corona related and what it means effectively for um, different parts of the, the sports industry and uh, sports ecosystem. And, you know, I think the point generally being is that there's obviously much more important things than sport um, in life, especially when we're sort of faced with this global epidemic pandemic. But I think the thing that we and I've seen other people and practitioners do within their own spaces, you know, in a way, the best form of um, remedy sometimes is just, just, just to keep going, um, keep getting on with our jobs and um, and keep trying to put content out there. So this is our idea really just to be able to talk through some of the issues that we're facing with in our own specific specialised industry. And it, you know, it's great to have Johnny with us today. I think it's fair to say that, that every industry and sector has been significantly impacted and in some cases pretty drastically impacted by the developments, I suppose, in, in recent days and weeks um, in relation to, to the spread of the virus and, and the responses, I suppose, uh, um, by government authorities. And the sports industry really is no different. And I think it's fair to say that the disruption caused to the sports industry um, and the wider esports and entertainment industry as well um, is completely unprecedented in that we have never encountered anything quite like this before. Uh, and anyone really with a vested interest in the business of sport um, from a commercial perspective is potentially going to be impacted on not just a short-term basis, but actually a long-term basis. And that's from a social and economic and a commercial point of view. Um, and I suppose if we break down the sports industry into different stakeholder groups that make up the ecosystem every single group will be affected in very different ways so if we think about rights holders governing bodies federations clubs venues event organizers will obviously be seriously impacted if we think about how content is is consumed broadcasters will obviously have some very difficult decisions to make in, in the coming weeks and then if we think about how sports content is consumed from a marketing, advertising, promotional perspective, clearly brands, sponsors, commercial partners will also have a lot of considerations to weigh up in, in, in the coming weeks as well. And from a more practical perspective, suppliers, venues, service providers um, clearly are going to be impacted too. And I suppose the final group, which arguably is is as significant as anyone else if not more significant is actually the individual athletes and the individual talent because in many ways they drive the industry they make up the epicenter of of sport from a consumer perspective or from a commercial point of view and uh, and there will be nobody less affected um by what is currently happening in the industry than um, individual players um, and how the current and ongoing disruption will affect their ability to earn a livelihood and apply their trade. Um, and we're talking about traditional talent in, in the context of professional players and athletes, but we're also talking about online talent as well. So influencers, YouTubers, um, esports, athletes, gamers, content creators, um, there will be so many different commercial implications for them and, and quite complex 
um, implications from a contractual and a legal point of view as well that that ultimately um, they will need to give some thought to as well as their representatives as well, of course. Yeah, I completely agree, Johnny. And I think, um, yeah, it's very well said. I think the thing that I think um, springs to mind from the, the piece that you wrote that is just going out on, on Monday today is um, that sort of broken down into a number of different categories, actually. So the way that you quite rightly broke them down was to do with, I think, five bullet points. One was the implications on player contracts, participation agreements, non-field deals. So that's really on-field matters. Then the second being existing commercial deals for, for talent. The third being, you know, what should talent be thinking about if that's players, if that's YouTubers, if that's esports players, etc. What should they be thinking about when new commercial opportunities arise? I think the next also is the, um, you know, when there's possibly going to be periods of time in the future where the more general public and population, as is in the case in particular European countries and China at the moment, is going to have, is going to be at home, maybe going to be consuming more content. How best do, uh, how best are there greater opportunities or risks to actually engage with people over social media, for example, and, and I guess more widely just you know, taking on board the official governmental and um, intra-governmental and organisational advice um, based on this time. So, I mean, yeah, we were talking in the office this morning, if we start on, which was to do with, um, you know, we do a lot of work in football, obviously. One of the things that we were discussing was the elongation or extension of the football season. And one of the things that I was saying, really, at least from a club player fan perspective, was, you know, at first instance, if one of the biggest drivers in sport is probably, at least at the moment, still broadcasters and the money that flows down from the broadcasters to the rights holders and the leagues to be able to televise all of these live premium action, um, simply voiding a season um, would be problematic for a, a number of reasons and the, the legal challenges that would develop as a result based on relegation, promotion, Champions League, etc. Um, and and my, my point, I mean, and again, it's, um, it fits in with some of the things you've been saying in your article was, you know, I think we're in such extraordinary times that people are so wed, have been wedded and rightly so to the, the calendar season, football season as it is that in a way it might well be that there might need to be quite a reconfiguration of that season for season parameters for a particular period of time, just simply because we are, you know, we're going through quite, um, you know, tumultuous times and we need to have, as well as all the authorities need to have that degree of flexibility because ultimately broadcasters will want their content to, in order for them that, that to be money paid to the rights holders and the clubs and the associations and the leagues all around the world. And it might well be, hopefully, if some type of antiviral drug is secured or a vaccine in the longer term, things can at least start getting back to some normality, but it might be a little bit further into the future. And those type of things obviously impact on the things you're talking about from, from a talent perspective too. Yeah, I think we can probably rule out the this pretty far-fetched concept of of just scrapping the current season and just then starting afresh next year i mean the reality is um if that were to happen uh there would be numerous clubs in the football context that would be um unfairly advantaged or unfairly disadvantaged by such a decision i mean if we think about clubs like leeds united and west bromwich albion who are on the brink of promotion to the premier league if that promotion then did not happen, if we think of the potential significant revenue that they would lose uh, or not secure as a result of that decision, um, 
if we think about clubs like Coventry City at the top of League One, if we think about Dundee United, who I think are 14 points clear at the top of the Scottish Championship, clubs like that um, would absolutely be within their rights to consider some form of legal challenge. So there, for, for so many reasons, the concept of scrapping and starting again simply wouldn't really work. Um, but the idea of then having this period of, of postponement and then kick-starting the season again, whether that's in May or June or, or, or later, I think raises some really interesting issues around the contractual piece involving players. Um, particularly in the context of players whose contract with their club may come to an end on the 30th of June. So what happens if we are still playing domestic league and cup football in the summer? What happens in, in, in the context of those players? Um, and what, what happens in the context of the transfer window, which obviously in the UK is scheduled to come to an end on the 1st of September 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously decisions will need to be made um, in the context of how that transfer window will, will look. And I think one of the questions that we've been asked quite a lot already in various various times is, will you know, the everyone's employment contract comes to an end well i say some people's employment contract comes to an end and will expire on the 30th of june um we have the situation quite interestingly where watford's two main goalkeepers gomez and foster are actually out of contract on the 30th of june now in a usual situation it might well be that and it still might be the case that temporary extensions are provided to cover for the eventuality of games in this current season being played in, who knows, June, July, August, September. You know, we've just got to wait and see. Um, but I, I think there might be an issue with having um, two goalkeepers out of contract that then don't re-sign, for example, um, and then a club being without its two frontline goalkeepers and not having the ability to be able to then sign somebody that might be able to stand in as equal of, of equal ability. So that Watford might again be the outlier, but again, these are the types of things that are going to have to be considered. We, there's, as we as we speak, um, there's the UEFA um, uh, virtual meet that's happening, um, I believe Tuesday at some point, um, that's going to be important for, for a huge number of reasons. One, from a UEFA Europa League Champions League perspective, another for the expected decision potentially at least to um, cancel or postpone the Euros for, for another season. So, you know, I think the thing is we're in such fluid times right now. It's really strange to say sometimes, but literally a lot of this is speculation. But at the same time, there are presumably some things that are in player contracts that are on on-field deals that we do see in lots of variety of ways in terms of appearance monies or contingent payments or fixed payments. I know you wrote about, Johnny, in the article that you may want to talk about a bit more detail on. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges here is that there are so many competing objectives um, and so many competing considerations um, whether from a club perspective a player perspective or, or a commercial partner perspective I suppose or indeed a broadcaster point of view as well I mean one of the uh, you know we talk about the stakeholder groups one of the stakeholder groups that will be most affected here will be clubs that rely significantly on match day revenue uh, and how they will be able to cope with a significant number of particularly home games not taking place in the next few weeks and this could be across football but also rugby and, uh, and other traditional sports as well so the financial pressures on those clubs clearly will be will be enormous as is the case with i suppose rights holders and employers in in other sectors and industries 
But if we flip that and, and think about things from a player perspective and an agent point of view, whilst players will continue to be entitled to be paid their wages, even during a period of postponement, the, the reality is any performance-related bonuses will, will likely be affected here. Uh, and this ties in with a lot of the work that, that, Dan, you've done and talked about in, in recent months around the wider trend in the football industry uh, being that um, typically players will have lower levels of guaranteed salary payments mm-hmm. and higher levels of performance-related pay. Um, so potentially players could um, suffer pretty significant um, losses as a result of not being able to play games and not be able to guarantee that that performance related income. And I think also it's the same for any other. If we if we almost pivot into um, commercial deals more generally, it's exactly the same really for any athlete, um, esports player, YouTuber, influencer generally that has these type of commercial deals. Um, you know, if you're not able to perform. Um, and there are performance related clauses as a result, like not being able to appear at a particular time. Maybe you need to be flying to another country, which would be tricky. And we'll talk about force majeure contracts in a bit. How about if you're not able to appear in 20 more games this season, which would give you the uplift? How about if you don't play in 75% of the games this season, then you don't get your retainer amount? All of those type of things then come into the mix when we look at all of uh, a variety of different, especially talent agreements, whereby you know, their employer or their brand or their um, endorser is providing them with money in return for something. And what, is, what happens if that something can't be fulfilled? I think the conversation around endorsement and other commercial deals um, in the context of the current climate is quite an interesting one because on one hand, it's been quite rightly suggested that the current uncertainty will lead to a bit of a decline, I suppose, in brand campaigns and, and brand partnerships involving sports or entertainment talent. Um, because the reality is that brands will, will likely have to reconsider their budgets for these types of campaigns, especially um, if those campaigns or partnerships are tied to particular events. Mm-hmm. So if they're in relation to Euro 2020 or the London Marathon or um, the IFA Champions League or whatever it might be. But I think from a commercial industry point of view, that the flip side argument is that um, there is an opportunity here for quite innovative, powerful, engaging content to be created, um, whether by brands or by individual talent that can actually engage an audience and a fan base that is clearly going to be spending more time potentially online and on social media and consuming digital content. So I think that there's an interesting industry point there around brand related activity and whether that's going to take a hit or actually whether there's an opportunity to, to leverage the current uncertain climate. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was, um, yeah, and then if we feed in maybe to there as to sort of the, the power of that online post, um, you know, I, I was list, uh, reading a, a good tweet by a good friend of Sheridan's, um, Harry Hugo runs the GOAT agency. And he was saying that the next few months are an incredible, I mean, obviously within you know, the context of what's going on, an incredible opportunity for when you know, people are possibly going to be at home more because of these type of issues to 
really put your message out there, whatever it might be. It might be, you know, there's positive messages about lots of different motivational strategies. It might be innovating in different ways. I've had great things about how people throughout history and quarantine have d developed amazing different types of either written fantastic things or developed particular types of technology or otherwise. So, you know, I think the point is we're trying to stay positive on the podcast as a, yeah, as a, yeah. as a general presumption, Absolutely. but yeah. that's why quite that it seems like we may go through quite a turbulent time, but also quite a um, positive reflective yeah. time. Possibly and and well. I think if we look at the past 48 hours, we've probably seen four or five really innovative case studies mm. around online fan engagement. I mean, we saw um, Southampton and Manchester City sort of kicking off the, the sort of trend of innovative um, fan engagement initiatives online when they sort of engaged in a Connect Four exchange on Twitter. Um, and then we had um, the really interesting example of Leighton Orient Football Club um, effectively inviting other clubs to take part in a virtual online FIFA 2020 esports tournament. And I think they've, they've got 64 clubs locked in and they're looking now to try and get 128. And the levels of fan engagement and the levels of online engagement through their um, social channels probably trumps um, a regular week in the season for a club like mm -hmm. Leeds and So that's a really interesting example. And I suppose going back to the conversation around individual talent, whether that be traditional athletes, footballers, rugby players, cricketers, golfers, tennis players, or what we would describe as being online talent, mm -hmm. so influencers, content creators, esports athletes. There is a huge opportunity here to um, uh, to engage with your fan base and, and, and engage with your online audience in a in a sort of cool, creative, innovative way. The example I quite like is um, uh, Max Verstappen off the back of the Australian Grand Prix being obviously shelled over the weekend. Um, he got involved along with a, a host of other racing drivers, professional gamers, traditional athletes as well in a effectively a, a, an online esports competition which was then streamed through Twitch and YouTube um, and the engagement levels were, were pretty impressive uh, and I think Thibaut Courtois, the Real Madrid goalkeeper mm -hmm. who's a, a big gamer himself also got involved. So that's just another example of um, how actually from a commercial off-field perspective the very difficult challenging circumstances that athletes find themselves in can actually be flipped a little bit um, now the, there is a an opposing argument or an opposing considera consideration here around the risks of social media mm. um, and in some ways you know any form of talent that is active on social media with a profile and, uh, and using various platforms needs to be mindful of the pitfalls and the risks um, you know all it takes is one um, erroneous tweet or post um, to be construed as being insensitive or disrespectful um, or offensive and potentially that could that could be quite damaging and I think it's I think it's fair to say that any form of talent with an online profile will probably have their online activity scrutinized um, more so in the coming weeks than perhaps in, mm. a, in, a, in a more regular um, typical scenario um, so I think talent need to be quite cautious and just careful around what they're saying and what they're posting. And the reality is everyone is going to have an opinion on um, the authorities' responses to this global pandemic. Everyone will have a personal opinion around 
the position taken by the British government, the position taken by the Irish government, the position taken by sporting authorities to postpone matches and competitions, cancel matches and competitions. And obviously in some cases, sporting competition is actually continuing on. You know, the sport I play, hockey, um, we had matches over the weekend and we're scheduled to have matches this weekend. So the point is everyone will have an opinion on particular decisions and responses being put in place by authorities. But what you say and post online about those decisions and about those individuals making those decisions clearly will be scrutinised. So I think there's a balancing act here. Um, there are lots of really interesting, innovative ways of, of um, leveraging your profile online and engaging with your online fan base. But at the same time, you have to be mindful of the, of the risks and the pitfalls. Mm. No, I completely agree. And I think, you know, as a, as a final remark, really, unless Johnny there's anything more to add from your side, I mean, I would I would really recommend checking out Johnny's article. It's going to be put in the show notes. Um, it's a great post on LinkedIn, just talking about all the things we've we've mentioned in quite a lot of detail. And um, what we're going to try and do um, as, as things progress, as matters evolve, as things develop in different ways within the sports ecosystem generally, we're going to try and um, put out a few more podcasts in the um, coming weeks just to talk through some of the ramifications of things. Again, you know, sport is, you know, a massive part of, you know, world life uh, has an incredible impact on local communities. It, you know, it is really as local as it is global. These are the things that you know impact us on a daily basis. And we're lucky enough to be the ones working in the industry, I think it's almost what, what we need to try and do is, you know, keep these channels of communication open, talk about the the implications and the consequences of these things a bit. Um, and hopefully that will um, be of interest and value to, to the wider listening, um, wider listeners rather. So um, yeah, Johnny, anything to add from your side? I think obviously, Dan, you made the point that there has been a lot of online speculation and there probably will continue to be speculation particularly on social media around what decisions will and won't be made in the sporting context particularly around seasons being completed when matches will recommence etc and I think certainly you know from our perspective in the industry certainly from a legal point of view the reality is it's going to be the official guidance from official stakeholders which will um, ultimately be key here um, you mentioned UEFA's um, meeting that they have scheduled for this week which will obviously be significant in shaping actually where the football industry goes in the next six months because we've got international yeah. competition in the context of euro 2020 we've got domestic leagues domestic cups um which at the minute are all up in the air um the other angle which i suppose we haven't yet mentioned is the tokyo 2020 mm -hmm. olympic games there are obviously a significant number of olympic athletes and potential olympians who um, are actually looking to start the qualification yeah. process very soon. Yeah. But again, from a from an advice and guidance perspective, that will ultimately come from the World Health Organization and the relevant uh, host um, uh, country organizer in, in Japan. Um, and that advice and guidance will likely feed down then to UK sport in, in the UK context or Sport Ireland in the Irish context. Uh, and obviously that advice and guidance will then, will then feed down to governing bodies and, and uh, uh, in, in the non-Olympic context, it, it'll, it'll feed down to national team associations and, and federations as well. So yes, there's going to continue to be ongoing speculation online, but the reality is all that, that athletes and, and 
stakeholders within the sports industry can really do is 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 heed the guidance and the advice given by by the key stakeholders. Yeah, no, completely agree. Well, Johnny, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. You might get invited back for um, another special guest appearance if your performances stay as good as this. You're obviously struggling with uh, with your guests. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for joining us and um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.